Welcome to the PharmaSource podcast, where we dive into the latest trends, challenges, and commercial opportunities in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry. In each episode, we'll be speaking with top executives, researchers, policymakers, and other experts who share their perspective on the trends which are shaping the business of pharma. From the latest breakthroughs in drug development and manufacturing to the impact of healthcare policy on drug pricing, we cover it all. Subscribe for your regular dose of Pharma Insight. Today I'm joined by Dr. John Lamatina. John was president of Pfizer Global R&D, where he managed more than 13,000 scientists and professionals across the US, Europe and Asia. Today, John's senior partner at PureTech Health, author and Forbes contributor, where he offers a unique perspective into the challenges and costs which come with bringing life-changing medicines to the market. John's latest book, Pharma and Profits, Balancing Innovation, Medicine and Drug Prices, lays out the facts in a very accessible way and, in my opinion, should be required reading for anyone in journalism before they write a story about drug prices. John, welcome to the show. Luke, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it and thank you for the kind words. Of course. Um, I've got to say, I found your book to be a massive relief, actually, because when you go to uh, a bookstore, when you go to Amazon, and I'm sure you've seen this, but the best sellers out there are Pharma, Greed, Lies and the Poisoning of America, The Big Pharma Conspiracy, Taming the Big Pharma Monster and Bad Pharma, How Drug Companies Mislead Doctors and Harm Patients. The list goes on. The COVID bounce didn't last too long, did it? No, not at all. So I am a little bit of a voice in the wilderness to a certain extent. I know the books you just mentioned. In fact, I've, I've uh, on a couple of occasions debated with uh, some of the authors uh, along the way. Uh, ben Goldacre for one, and uh, uh, John uh, Abramson as as another. Uh, but I've I've been writing books about the industry before the pandemic. But I thought when the pandemic hit. And, and the amazing, remarkable, miraculous, whatever you want to describe it as, uh, efforts by the biopharmaceutical industry to come up, not just vaccines, but therapeutics, et cetera, I thought would really show the world the value that these companies bring, that, no, that uh, values that you can't get from, from any other place, really. Uh, you weren't going to turn to Harvard or Cambridge uh, to come up with a, a new vaccine necessarily. You weren't going to uh, get this from the National Institutes of Health or the NHS. It, is, it has to be done uh, via the uh, industrial uh, work of the uh, biopharmaceutical industry. And so that and, lasted for about 12 months. And then yeah. uh, there was euphoria. There was, there was uh, uh, all the polls showed that uh, people were valuing drug companies. And then it's gone back to where it was pre-pandemic. Why do you think that is? Because you know, throughout the pandemic, it was rolling news. Everyone was glued to their TV screens to see who was going to win the vaccine race. But then why, why do you think it's gone back into being the same old negativity and misconceptions about the industry? Why has it reverted back so quickly? Well, in the United States, uh, drug pricing is a hot topic. Uh, in fact, polls will show that in America, at least, people feel... Uh, they are unjustly uh, paying far more for drugs than happens in the UK or France or other parts of the world. And that is true. We do pay more for drugs here in the United States than elsewhere. The United States, in fact, sort of foots the bill in, in a lot of ways. And people resent that. Uh, and, and as a result, they uh, ask that the, the government start controlling prices. It's a very political topic here in the U.S., uh, particularly uh, politicians, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, 
few years back, took a busload of people to Canada to buy their insulin because they couldn't afford it in the mm. United States. Uh, and, and it's a general perception that uh, people are not able to take their drugs, can't afford them, and, and as a result, are, is injuring their health. I mean, how much of that do you feel is the pharma company's fault themselves versus it being systemic healthcare issues? I mean, particularly, you know, talking about the US, there's such a complicated web of list prices, which is obviously what the media tends to, to focus its reports on, payers, providers, and rebates. Do you feel as though it's the system itself which is more responsible for that rather than the efforts of the, the companies researching and manufacturing the drugs? Look, that's a great point. So in the United States, the only prices that are available to reporters uh, and, and politicians and others, basically the general public, are the list prices. The list prices have nothing to do with the actual price that the company, the manufacturing company, actually gets. It's a starting point for negotiations that uh, that occur between companies and, and the insurance uh, companies that uh, are, will actually uh, buy the drug for the people in their health or allow the drug to be bought for the people in their health plans, which are very different uh, mm -hmm. from reality in all uh, honesty. Uh, and so that's a problem. People don't appreciate that uh, drug companies get only about 48% of the price that's actually paid. So even when you take away list price, you go to net price, it's only about 48% goes to the, the uh, uh, company because of the supply chain and everybody who puts their little fingers in the pie, so to speak. I, a couple of great examples from the pandemic. One of the, one of the great things that happened here in the United States was the Operation Warp Speed uh, was formed by the government and, and they uh, helped to support uh, six different companies uh, in their vaccine efforts. By helping to support, for the most part, it said, if you are successful and you come up with a vaccine and the vaccine is shown to be safe and approved by the CDC and the FDA, we will guarantee to buy, uh, for the most companies, 100 million doses. And a price was set at that point by the government. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, the most expensive one was the Pfizer vaccine, which they said, if you're successful, we will buy 100 million doses uh, at, at, uh, for $1.9 billion, basically $19 a dose. Uh, and that was the price that was set. Uh, there was no middleman involved in all that. That's basically the government getting a price and getting a pretty cheap, uh, uh, a relatively inexpensive uh, dose. To show you how relatively inexpensive it is, when, when I got my booster doses uh, at the local uh, pharmacies, uh, the pharmacy got from the government basically $42 to put that shot in my arm. The dose itself only costs nineteen dollars, <laughs> and it gives you a sense of of how uh, uh, other people, once they get involved, will have uh, will get their share. Now, obviously, a, a, a pharmacy isn't going to do that for free, but uh, the fact that these pharmacies not only uh, would charge that amount, but then you had to wait in the pharmacy for fifteen minutes to make sure there wasn't a a uh, uh, an adverse event. And I challenge anyone to sit for fifteen minutes in a pharmacy and not buy anything. While you're there, you yeah. probably, you know, so whatever other kind of products, aspirin or whatever. So uh, having a situation like this uh, uh, changes things a lot. Now, there's a big to do in the United States again, because now both Pfizer and Moderna have said that the government is now getting out of the vaccine business. Government is no longer going to be paying for vaccines probably by the middle of this year. And so Pfizer and Moderna have both said, well, 
the price is going to go up from that $19. In fact, the price is going to probably, and in fact, it, it was more than $19 because you had to get two doses. So it was really a, a $38, uh, $30, $30 or so cost for the, 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 the two shots. Uh, Pfizer and Dura said, well, our list price is going to be somewhere between $130, $120 and $140. And people are sort of like, what are you kidding me? This is price gouging. This is terrible. Uh, Congress is having hearings about this. But what's happening is so two things. One, as we just said, that's the list price for the vaccine, not mm. the net price. There are going to be negotiations going on and rebates being given to the insurance companies, et cetera. So probably the dose, the cost will be higher, but it might be 70 or $75 for these shots, which, by the way, is the same uh, that the price that the annual flu shot that you get is charged for. And most years, if the flu shot is 50, 55% effective, that's considered to be terrific. It's a breakthrough. Of course, the flu, they're notoriously not as efficacious as the COVID-19 vaccines have been, which are on the order of 90 and 95%. So you got me started on this by talking about the yeah, convoluted please. US health system, which is true. But by the way, let me add one other thing while we're on it. Americans only know about their drug costs because they actually go to a pharmacy uh, and depending on, the, assuming they have insurance, which about 10% of Americans don't have insurance at all, which is also preposterous. Uh, nevertheless, if that, they, they'll have a copay perhaps and they'll, and they'll see uh, a much of a copay and, and depending on the quality of the insurance, your copay could be very minor or it could be pretty high. So people see those prices. Interestingly enough, costs of hospital uh, uh, procedures are way higher in the United States than in the UK and in France and other countries. Mm. Simple example, hip replacements. Hip replacements in the United States cost $40,000. Hip replacements have been known 60 years. Uh, but a hip replacement in the UK, and, and, and there have been no improvements in hip replacement technology. Really, it's, the, the actual hip material has been better. For most of the surgery is the same, et cetera. Uh, you can get a hip replacement in the UK for $12,000 or the equivalent of $12,000 based on the exchange rate. Mm -hmm. Same thing in Europe. But Americans don't realize that. Our whole healthcare system is way more expensive than any place in the world, but it's the drugs that get focused on, unfortunately. Talking about the US and regulatory reform, the Inflation Reduction Act obviously aims to lower prescription drug pricing and is causing all sorts of issues with pharma companies trying to respond and adapt to that. Is there an equivalent going on at the moment within healthcare or is all the focus right now for Congress on IRA? Uh, IRA and drugs are the focus right now. I haven't seen anything uh, related. Now, there is some congressional hearings going on with the pharmaceutical benefit managers, the people who negotiate with drug companies uh, uh, for their drugs, because people are beginning to notice that, well, wait a second, these people are making all this money. Uh, the list price of, of this drug uh, is, is actually uh, 20, 25% higher than what the drug companies are actually getting. Well, where's that money going to? Well, the people who negotiate the prices, oh, really? Okay, how much profit should they get? <laughs> Where I mean, they obviously contribute to the value chain. They certainly uh, help control prices, particularly in, in drug classes where there are multiple candidates, where they can actually negotiate. You have three or four members of a certain class. A, 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 a pharmacy co a benefit company will say, okay, well, to go on our formulary where we can guarantee all our patients will get your drug, you have to come in at a price Pfizer lower than Merck's drug or or Novartis' drug because uh, they're giving me a certain price. So uh, nego those negotiations occur, but 
uh, there are, are uh, paybacks for all of this. And that's how these pharmaceutical benefit companies make their money. Uh, and they want to continue to grow their profits 10% a year without necessarily doing anything to make the drugs more effective or something like that. So that's, a, that's mm -hmm. starting to get some scrutiny here in the United States, but nothing to do with hospital costs, not that I've seen. Mm -hmm. So what kind of impact do you think IRA is going to make for all involved with market access over the coming years? Let, let me give you two big examples of what's happened. It's going to be phased in over a period of time. Uh, the negotiations, that the, the selection of which drugs, it's going to start gradually. So in the first year, I believe uh, they'll take the top 10 uh, products that Medicare in the United States has, has, paid, has paid money for and negotiate those top prices for those top 10. The next year, I think it's 15, and then it'll go 15, and then eventually it'll be uh, up to probably 60 drugs between now and, and 2030 with that, the prices will be negotiated with. Uh, negotiation is, is sort of a loose term. The government will say, okay, this is what we're paying you. Uh, so mm -hmm. uh, there'll be some discussion back and forth, but I, I, I'm sure the comments are gonna be, you, you only charge this amount in, in the United Kingdom, uh, we should only charge that amount as well. So there's gonna be some pretty much back and, and forth. Now, uh, that's going to have an impact on, on a company's profits. Obviously, the government isn't doing this without the promise of saving billions and billions of dollars. And, and the estimates look are all over the place. You, you, they're, they're, the mm. government says, well, it's not going to reduce the revenue. The companies aren't going to be hurt that much. It's going to be minimal. And then other analysts think, well, it's, it's going to be uh, you know, 10, 20 percent of, of sales. Well, people... Uh, uh, United States say, well, so what? You, these companies are so rich, uh, they can afford to, to make less profits. Uh, uh, well, maybe, but to be honest, uh, the, the drug companies are not at the top of, of, of the revenue of, of profitability of most uh, 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 of industries in the United States. They tend to be in the middle on all sorts of ways that you can measure. So they're not that rich. But furthermore, and far more important to this, Luke, is that Let's say uh, uh, this one of the estimates I, I've seen says it should save uh, three hundred million dollars over the cost of, uh, over the course of about five or six years. Well, that's significant savings for the government, but people don't realize that drug companies invest twenty five percent of these revenues, mm. top line revenues, into R and D. Twenty five percent. So. Uh, make my, my math, for $300 million less in sales, 25% uh, of this, $75 billion less to invest in R&D, $75 billion. Hmm. Well, how is that? What's going to happen? I can tell you what's going to happen because I had to, when I was running uh, R&D at Pfizer, I had to make some severe cuts in the, in the mid-2000s. Uh, such that I had ended up closing, uh, it's the Royal Eye, the company did it, but the buck stopped with me, closed research sites uh, around the world, including uh, downsizing a major one in Sandwich, England, which was a second biggest site in, in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, loss of jobs, loss of programs. Uh, uh, we had to get out of therapeutic areas that we had uh, been terrific in, cardiovascular disease, neurosciences, even uh, anti-infectives. Uh, when you, when you hit the bottom line of companies, that's going to hit researchers. So fewer researchers, uh, uh, fewer research programs may work on at a time when 
this you want to do more if anything there are tremendous medical needs out there diseases that that, uh, that that deserve new treatments and and science uh, at least basic knowledge continues to grow so that's one aspect the second weird aspect of all of this is that for whatever reason this is poorly understood they broke down in the IRA what types of drugs that uh, they would negotiate for uh, first and and uh, uh, how soon they would start negotiating for those drugs. So basically, they are allowed to start negotiating for drugs that have been approved for uh, for small molecule for pills uh, for things like uh, Lipitor, Atorvastatin, uh, after they've been on the market for nine years. Interestingly, you can't negotiate for the larger molecules, the, the antibodies, the injectable drugs, until the drug has been on the market for 13 years. Now, why there's a difference starting at 9 or mm -hmm. 13 is not, not understood, for one thing. But for certainly, it's the wrong way to go for two reasons. Number one, pills are cheaper. You go to a pharmacy, you get a vial of pills, and, 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 you, and you go at home. The injectables, you have to go to a doctor's office, you have to go to a healthcare clinic or, or another institution to have this all uh, uh, given, uh, injected to you, and you pay a whole lot more and they tend to be more expensive. Now, okay, so so big deal, uh, why is this a bit? Well, my old job, I, I now would have to decide if I've got a limited amount of resources and I can invest in, in drug programs that will lead pills or drug programs that will lead to injectables, I may get some pressure from my commercial colleagues to say, we got to do more on the injectable side because we'll be able to have before the price negotiations kick in for a longer period of time. And that's the wrong way to go. You ought to, if anything, the pills are the better way to go for most diseases. So the, the two aspects of it, fewer profits for companies leading to less R&D and then balancing research portfolios in the wrong way for the types of drugs that, that really benefit people. Some real unintended consequences, well, or, or maybe intended for all I know, consequences. Yeah, there was a, a big cardiology meeting in the United States this week, and uh, Merck made a major announcement uh, that they've got a, a pill that's uh, what's called a PCSK9 inhibitor uh, that lowers uh, uh, cholesterol extremely well. Well, there are already injectable drugs out there that uh, do this. Uh, the injectable drugs in the United States cost $4,000 cost $4, a year. The guess is the pill is going to be a whole lot cheaper plus easier uh, to get because, again, you go to the pharmacy and you get your, your little uh, uh, cachet of pills and you, you bring them home. Uh, however, in the future, if, if uh, you had a choice between starting a program in the very beginning of a pill, you might say, let's go injectable. Uh, we can get that to the market quicker. We'll have it on the market for a longer period of time. So it's, yeah. it's a pretty sad consequence of all this that I'm sure none of the uh, politicians who voted for this had any inkling about. Um, when it comes to international drug pricing, what role do you think China has? I mean, is it is it right that that market should receive such massive discounts? And if other countries like the US are starting to rebalance against that, what are the implications for the rest of the world? So it's an interesting problem, Luke. And and uh, uh, and the reason things are most expensive in the United States is it, it, when by the time you get a drug approved, you've made all your capital investments on the order of about $2 billion, could be even more in that. So you have this now, all you have to do is manufacture it. Not That's not as trivial, but I mean, that's, that, that's, that's very doable. 
you try and, and get uh, as uh, the profits you can get as best possible. And in, in certain countries, obviously, in, in Europe, you have single buyers. You have England, you have France, and so you negotiate with a whole country there. China, of course, could decide whether or not to follow your uh, pricing, or they could say, well, we're, we're a much bigger population. We want even more of a discount than, than what you get. Mm. So if you can make the decision to not uh, release it in China, uh, the Chinese can then say, well, we can't have access to this, so we're going to ignore your patents and and we'll just make it ourselves and, and distribute ourselves. So you try and avoid that sort of economic conflict, right? You don't want suddenly a, a war where nobody's uh, uh, following uh, intellectual property laws, et cetera. So it's a, it's a pretty complicated situation right now. That's not going to get any simpler. Yeah. When it comes to these sorts of market access issues around price what, what kind of impact do you see that having on the rest of the supply chain so thinking about the drug manufacturing packaging procurement all of all of those really important elements of the supply chain is is this price pressure going to move its way down to there as well well it it uh it, it should you would think because you you can pass on costs if supply chain stuff goes up it's not easy to pass those on to customers in fact the united states part of the ira also is that if you raise prices above the cost of inflation in a given year you pay severe financial penalties uh and so mm. you're not going to be able to pass that on now that the saving grace in the supply chain is hopefully that you have competition uh, in different places for different raw materials, et cetera, such that uh, uh, that's not going much above the cost of inflation. But as, as you've seen the last 12 to 18 months, uh, it, cost of everything has been going up dramatically as a result of a pandemic. One other thing yeah. about the pandemic and, and your interest supply chains is a concern in the United States and all sorts of manufacturing sectors about accessibility to things. You know, we everything was one world at one point and uh, you, can, you can make this this part of your instrument in this place and this part in another part of the world, et cetera. When, when suddenly uh, the pandemic hit and, and, and countries were shut down, that became tough. So I think at least in the United States, I think you'll see it other, other places, people looking to make sure their supply chain is assured and maybe even increasing manufacturing locally in order to help uh, mm -hmm. remove those sort of problems. Something that you explain in your book is around gene therapy and, and how that's such a particular issue for pricing. Why is that? And how can payers be eased into an era of curative gene therapy? Uh, so I, I think you're you're uh, you're referring to a uh, a chapter I have about gene therapies. And uh, I opened that chapter uh, with a true story. I was going to a scientific meeting in San Francisco some years ago and and I got into a cab going from the airport to my hotel and, and the driver said, are you going to the meeting? I said, yeah. He said, uh, you know, all these drug companies, they have cures for all these diseases. I, I said, excuse mm. me? He said, oh yeah, but they're not letting them out because if you cure a disease, uh, you know, you, what do you, you have no market, what, you have nothing to sell. And I sort of said, okay, well, uh, uh, you can let me off as soon as possible here. I, I don't need to consider <laughs> this conversation at all. But we're now at that point. We're now at a stage where certain diseases, diseases that are, are, are based on a, a single genetic pro pro problem, uh, there are now therapies that will cure that disease. And uh, 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 the one I use in the book is, is uh, a certain type of leukemia, childhood leukemia. And uh, 
these if you get the severe form of, of uh, AML, uh, uh, you're dead by the time you're two or three years old. And so, uh, but the gene therapy is such that it cures it. You, you correct the genetic defect and people go on to have normal lives, at least up to now. Uh, uh, I think the, the, the one, one, the first child who was uh, dosed is now 10 years old and a bright young girl. It's just terrific to see. Well, how do you price it? And it comes down to what is the value of a life? Because that's what you restore in, in effect. And look, uh, companies have to make money to survive. And gene therapies are pretty expensive to do. And, and unless you can get funding for it, companies will, will uh, turn their R&D to other areas where they can't get a significant return on investment. That's just a fact of life. Uh, and so I think this gene therapy, at least initially, was priced at about $2.1 million. Now, uh, a couple of, of caveats to all this. Number one, it's paid over five years, so it's not one big layout by insurance companies. Two, if for whatever reason uh, that the uh, uh, the gene therapy doesn't work, you don't have to pay for it. Uh, and three, if the effect wears out, because these these were you thought it's a lifetime cure. If it's not, then 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 getting uh, a retreated five or six or seven years later, whatever, would come at a at a much lower cost. All that seems pretty reasonable. But then when you think about it, what is the value of a life? Uh, you have in your country something that's called qualies, uh, quality uh, adjusted uh, life years, where I think in the UK it's valued at 30,000 uh, pounds. So in, in the uh, 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 National Health Service or NICE or whoever determines what price that a drug is worth when a, when a Pfizer or Burke comes to uh, your country and says we want to sell this drug for a certain price. They they factor that in every every quality a year of a quality of life is worth thirty thousand uh, pounds. Well, if you if you restore a person's life for 20, 30, 70 years, that's a lot of qualities that you've added there, and those people have mm -hmm. contributed to society, paid taxes and stuff. So when you look at things that, and by the way, the United States has not uh, broached this yet. The United States doesn't. Uh, hasn't figured out yet if they want to tackle the topic of what's a life worth uh, and given the political... Well, presumably, it would be higher in the US, you'd think, wouldn't you? In terms yes. of... I mean, so, 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 I yes, Americans yes. automatically say that our lives are worth more. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's American arrogance uh, for you. So that's possible, yes. Uh, but when, when you look at it in the... So when the headline is new gene therapy, $2.1 million. People raise up their hands and say, see, this is the problem with these drug companies. And they're, they're, they're gouging people and, and uh, there's, there's no limit to their greed. And then, but then, and this is again why I wrote the book, when you, okay, well, let's put this in perspective. Let's look at what it does. Let's look at the savings to the healthcare system, et cetera. Let's look at restoring life, which tends to get lost in all of these discussions that these are life-saving drugs. Uh, then, then you can get to a point where that's not too unreasonable. With the market changing so much and so, so much regulatory change, not just in the US, but also in Europe right now, is there any advice or um, things that the pharma business should be, should be thinking about as they try and adapt and try to continue to grow and develop new treatments? Look, the industry is not going to go away. The people in this industry are very dedicated. Are you, I, I'm a chemist by training. I went uh, to work at Pfizer long, long decades ago because uh, I wanted to try and use my chemistry skills to, to make new medicines that could benefit millions of people. And Luke, 
those breakthroughs don't happen a lot. Uh, and mm -hmm. I can tell you where I was uh, all during my career where I heard about a drug that suddenly had a wonderful, wonderful uh, benefits. Uh, it's, a, it's a literal cause for celebration in your company when a drug gets approved. Uh, uh, it, it's a wonderful experience, but it is hard work. Nevertheless, you have all sorts of people, chemists, biologists, uh, uh, computer experts, people, clinicians, et cetera, all working together to come up with this because it's it's a wonderful uh, use of, of one's skills in, in the science uh, and technology area. So it's not going to go away. The, the thing people have to realize is you make it tougher uh, by putting all these limitations on. Uh, look, drug companies are pretty responsible in, in how they conduct their business and how they price drugs. And they, and they now uh, try to get a lots of it, but they have the divisions in their company, that, that each company that just look at what price could we charge for this? What would uh, be a reasonable price? What's the financial economic benefit that curing this disease or treating this disease brings to the whole healthcare system? Now, I don't wish us another pandemic, uh, but but if something like that were to strike, I can guarantee you people will turn to the biopharmaceutical industry for help mm. and say, how quickly can you get me something? Or And, and, and so that's always going to be there. Advice I have, you know, try and appreciate this industry and try and help it thrive and not necessarily continue to try and shackle it. John, that's a great way to end the interview. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Look, I really appreciate it. So that's episode one of the PharmaSource podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss episode two, in which I interview Neil Grubert about market access challenges in 2023. Thank you for listening.